Hello. Chris, have you written your script for the intro yet? Bienvenue. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Chronically, colon, Narnia, a podcast where we take apart C.S. Lewis's most famous uh, works, uh, The Chronicles of Narnia. We take apart, uh, blah, 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 blah. we take them apart chapter by chapter. How did you write that in the script? I'm, like, curious. Just, like, what, did, do you consider that a P sound or a B sound? I mean, like, it's borderline plosive, but it's also, like, bleh. We take them apart chapter by chapter, and we analyze them at some sort of collegiate literary level, because Kristen here is an English major, uh, and I'm a religion major, and I'm bringing the theological approach to this that Kristen hates, uh, and, you know, that's what most of our listeners tune in for, I'm sorry to say. We've we've analyzed the metrics, and that's what we found. I really and appreciate it- that you've spoiled everything that's good about discovering this <laughs> podcast. Today we're coming in for chapter two of Horse and His Boy, A Wayside Adventure is the title, where we're discussing more of the adventures of Shasta and Bree uh, and what they get up to. Our buddy cop duo. Our Our, uh, buddy cop duo. Uh, I am here with my co-hosts. I am an appalling noise suddenly risen out of the darkness ahead. A long and snarling roar. Melancholy. And utterly savage. Also known as Kristen. And who are you? Oh, voice of intro and confidence? I'm just a common, dumb, calamine horse. Also known as Chris. (laughs) Um, Anyway. We welcome the dumb and the Common. common and the melancholy here. That's me. Anyway, so hello. That's me. I was melancholy. I gotcha. Uh, so welcome to chapter two of this book that we- Thank you. That, I feel so welcome. That we don't want to review. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is a wayside uh, adventure and what we start- Wayside adventure? Yes, a okay. wayside adventure. For some reason I questioned myself in the word adventure there. Yeah, no. Because I, I wanted to say a wayside story because I was like west side story. Uh, but. Mm-hmm. No, it's a wayside adventure, and it makes it sound very much like this entire chapter is just like a side note. Because mm-hmm. it's like, this is a wayside adventure. This is just something on the side of the main story. Yeah. Like, this is the story of the animals burying Uncle Andrew and, like, mm-hmm. this... almost burying him head first in the dirt. Uh-huh. Like, this is like, the this story doesn't matter. This but it the... also introduces two characters who seem like they're going to be major characters Probably. throughout the story. Like I don't know. To our new listeners, uh, I have never read this book before. I've never read any books in this series beyond uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, but yes, I agree with Kristen. Maybe this is the uh, Merry and Pippin part of this, this book. <laughs> well, so... also to our new listeners, um, why? But also... <laughs> No, seriously, please tell us. Um, also, um, we are reading these books in the um, chronological order. That is the Harper Collins order. We know that it's the wrong order. We know it's not publishing order. We know we messed up. We're doing the machete order of the C.S. Lewis books. 
So we have to like delete Uncle Andrew's character? Or? Please. <laughs> uh. <laughs> All right. But um, what we do when we read these books, we intro and we create some level of comedy in our brevity of intro. Not really. And then we have a sentence summary. We call this hashtag Narnia Chopped. Um, and Did we? Yeah. Okay. And this is where we, each of us, as we are reading, we collect five sentences that we pluck out of the context of the chapter and try to create a summary of the chapter using the words of the chapter itself. So, Chris, you already have yours out. Mine is uh, more than an arm's length away. So I'm going to have you go ahead and go first with your five-sentence summary. All right. I will start now. Far below them, so that the sound of the breaking waves was very faint, lay the sea. These were great days for Shasta, and every day better than last, as his muscles hardened and he fell less often. But as soon as it did... So there came two more lions' roars immediately after one another, one on the right and the other on the left. The horses began drawing nearer together. What quarrelsome creatures these humans are, said Bree to the mare. And now, Tarkina, tell us your story. Okay, okay. All right, I'll go ahead and read mine. Um... You sound judgmental over no, there. No, I'm not judgmental. I just feel like you, you're, you're, I, I feel like you're treating this chapter like I described it. Like it feels from the title, like this chapter is just like an aside mm-hmm. and you're treating it like it's an aside. No. You're just like. Well, we have two new characters introduced You don't, here. and you don't introduce either of them. I kind of do. You acknowledge Tarkina and you acknowledge that there's a mare. Because there weren't any singular lines from either of them that actually encapsulated a story element. Okay. I'm going to do mine and yeah. we'll see if you still think that. Okay. Ooh, okay. Throwing down over here. You throw down. After they had traveled on for weeks and weeks past more bays and headlands and rivers and villages than Shasta could remember, there came a moonlit night where they started their journey at evening, having slept during the day. It sounds like another horse between us and the woods, said Shasta, after he had listened for about a minute. Just as Shasta was saying to himself, we must be nearly at those sand hills by now, his heart leapt into his mouth because an appalling noise had suddenly risen up out of the darkness ahead. A long, snarling roar, melancholy and utterly savage. The two horses and two riders were galloping almost neck to neck and knee to knee, just as if they were in a race. And now that we've got the water between us and those dreadful animals... What about you two humans take off our saddles and are all and are all having a rest and hearing one another's stories? Okay. I debated including that last line in it. It mm-hmm. was it was up there in the running for me. I was just trying to like when new characters introduced, I try always to find a line of dialogue that they say that kind of encapsulates their introduction as a character, and I couldn't do that here. Yeah. I was no. trying to uh, um Aravis just like has like 17 really short forward sentences and doesn't say anything long enough to even come close to introducing her. Yeah. And the mayor doesn't reference herself. Yeah. Uh, what Quinn her doesn't Quinn say, doesn't say yeah. anything that's like, oh, hey, I'm also a talking horse. I mean, like the clo- like the sentence that I wanted to find a way to include was when Bree says, 
how, do you think I would pass someone of my same race on the street and not acknowledge them? Ooh, and topical. I think that that was um, the, the the sentence that I wanted to try to include, and I just couldn't work it in. I gotcha. Um, so let's jump, 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 let's dive in here. <laughs> you okay? Yeah. I'm tired. This is why I shouldn't, like, write my my summaries and my intros, like, before I go to work in the morning <laughs> while the coffee is still kicking in. Uh, anyway, let's jump in. There's, this is the, the second chapter in this book, and we've already gone into a chapter where not a lot of plot development happens. How like, can you say that? We because, introduced another talking horse. We introduced the Tarquina. They've traveled the, for weeks. That is in the last third of this chapter. The okay. first two-thirds of this chapter, what happens? Let's go into that, shall we? The, the first two-thirds of this chapter, uh, we have Shasta. Be, it, you felt compelled to include the fact that Shasta's getting stronger. He's mm -hmm. becoming a better rider. Yeah. He's not falling as often. You included that in your summary. So yeah. don't sit here and act like this is something that's not worth noting because you felt like noting it. Mm -hmm. We have the fact that they've traveled for weeks and weeks. They've passed more places than Shasta knew existed. Shasta and Bree have developed a system where when they come to towns, Shasta goes into the town and walks through it, buying whatever supplies he needs, and then meets Bree on the other side of the town, and they ride off from there so that they are not um, approached or questioned. Wouldn't it be crazy if it was the other way around? It would like be Shasta's crazy. Like Shasta's like, I'm going to go around the town, Bree, you go in and buy supplies. Yeah, meet you on the other side. Uh-huh. Um, and we have the introduction of two new characters. We also have this intense moment, chasing. this whole chasing in which there is a lion, maybe two lions, chasing Bree and Shasta. Bree has a moment of like, I would rather be eaten by a lion than being caught by a Tarkin. Please don't run uh. with the Tarkin, even though he may have a sword. So you're, I'm going to stop you there because you're just summarizing the entire chapter and like... Yeah, I, I mean, I could just keep going and finish uh -huh. up the whole chapter. This is what I do. Yeah, but I am the wind that flies this kite of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, Gosh, you just wanted to get uh, that analogy and, in yeah, so badly, and, didn't you? And Are you, you know, a leaf on the wind? Watch me soar. And what I do is, you know, I... I, I go through the chapter and i bring up plot points that we then discuss and that's kind of our shtick uh which is why we have like a 90 percent female listener base uh because people don't like that i don't know what i'm trying what? to say anyway did i not share this with you no <laughs> you didn't make sense no i usually you're like hey i say all of these things and that's why we have a 90 percent female audience that uh -huh. doesn't make what the heck are you talking about <laughs> None I'm, of that matters. None I wasn't, of that means none of that connects at all. I wasn't mentally prepared to do this podcast. Anyway, so you've known since yesterday we were going to yep. do this podcast today, and then I had a lot of tacos. Um, you so, had two and a half tacos. I guess that's not a lot when you think about it's it. It's not. So, what do tacos have to do with anything? I have a few things I want to discuss in this chapter. Uh, so I we intro, genuinely don't understand what's going the, on. The first part of this chapter is kind of like a montage going through the things that Shasta and Bree are experiencing as they're on this journey and they're getting further away from the fishy smelling village that they started out in. Uh, the first thing I want to bring up is there is this long, and in, in, in my paragraph, in my book, it's just a wall of text. 
mm-hmm. right here, talking about uh, Shasta seeing the sea from the distance for the first time. Mm, and smelling that air and for the first time. And smelling the salt air and seeing the gulls flying overhead. Do you overhead. remember? <laughs> and I want to say, like, apparently, I, I haven't looked into this and done research, but Lewis has an affinity for the sea. Yeah, it because seems he, that way. <laughs> it definitely the, seems that way. I know that it's like a thing. Uh-huh. In England, that like people like kids go to the sea for holiday. Yeah, and like it's referenced in the magician's nephew when it talks about how he and Polly get to go to the sea together. Mm-hmm. Um, it's referenced in the other book in *Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe* when the yeah. kids come to Caraparavel, and there's this whole like. As you described it, fugue state that Lewis goes into <laughs> describing the gulls and the sea air and yeah. the sea and do you remember? Yeah. And then we have, yes, once again, we have this moment where Shasta experiences the sea air without the smell of fish for the first time. And it is this profound moment for Shasta. It is. And like, this- it tastes like freedom. This has nothing to do with the story of the book at all, but I think How do you know? How do you know? I think it's interesting to point out our, our different experiences here because, uh, Kristen, you grew up in Southern California. Oh, yeah. I'm a, a classic SoCal surfer girl. <laughs> you are. Uh, I grew up in a, in a beach town, and, in, a, in, a, in a very much in a beach town. Um, yeah. I grew up at a maximum 20 minutes with traffic from the ocean mm-hmm. um, at any point. And yeah, don't don't really care one way or, or the another about the beach. It is yeah, it I, is a place with lots of memory and associations. But other than the fact that I can occasionally find sand dollars there, it's not really of interest to me. Yeah, um, and I grew up in uh, a town in Florida, which in Florida it's impossible to get more than about an, an hour. hour and fifteen minutes from the yeah. beach. Uh, I grew up as far as possible uh, from the beach as I could get. However, it was still a random weekday thing where somebody was just like, hey, you want to go to the beach? Sure, that's a thing. Like, it's not like you walk over there for your morning coffee, but yeah, it's a but thing you can do anytime. I also um, m- lived in Florida for five years, and in that entire five years went to the beach less than four times. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> however, we both had very similar experiences, I guess, of the beach growing up, because, like, from Southern California and Florida, we are, you know, our experiences of the beach, correct me if I'm wrong, are very like almost tropical where like it's a warm space and like you go there to get sun and you have like a tropical beverage and you you know you play volleyball and like it's like it's a beach experience like you would typically think of like it's not tropical here no, you go it. you go to the beach here in California when it's warm yeah you play some volleyball you hang out you get some sun you might put your feet in the water because it's 40 degrees and it's freezing yeah, so I had a different experience. Yeah, than and that in because, Florida like, you don't have that. In Florida, you go to the beach to like, yeah, involve the water. It's warmer, it's humid. You have more beach weather. You all year beach weather. Yeah, versus here where there are a lot of days where it's gloomy and cloudy and overcast, and you get the marine layer coming in <laughs> off the coast. It's a thing it's I never knew about. Gray and depressing, like. Uh, so regardless, like my point here is that we both have a relatively similar experience of the beach i am i'm with the seagulls and i'm comparing and contrasting it to and i've never been to the coast in england but i imagine what i've uh have read it's a very different experience 
I, I can't input anything in this because I know nothing, and uh, I really am not going to go research what the beach is like in England. And People go to the sea. Yeah. That's a thing that people do in England. I was just trying to create a little... Got I was it. I was comparing and contrasting, like, different cultures experiencing uh, the same thing. Okay. Like, that's what I was trying to get to here. Anyway, You're just so, not even... No, no, no. Go ahead and make <sighs> your point about, about the UK being different, but also don't consider that, like... You and I had the same experience. We didn't. Like, mm -hmm. I find the beach to be marginally better than tolerable. And, like, you find the beach a de desirable place to be. Like, uh -huh. and that has very little to do with our cultures. It has a lot more to do with our own personal affinities. And C.S. Lewis clearly adores the beach and thinks everyone should. Yeah. And the gulls, even. Which yeah. is a thing that I don't think I've ever heard anybody actually likes. The uh, sea seagulls. Yeah. The flying sea rats? Yeah. See, that's a common experience that we have. <laughs> As we both think seagulls are annoying, but apparently Lewis is real into them. Yep. Uh, and never tried to eat a sandwich on the beach, apparently. Yeah. Um, clearly has not. Anyway, so we have this whole montage where they go through where they're talking about different environments they've gone through and like we're really far away from the ocean. And I don't know how much time we have passed between chapter one and chapter two, but they can still see the sea, so they can't be that far away. It's like they've it has traveled to be. for weeks and weeks. That is in one of the sentences. Yeah. After they had traveled on for weeks okay. and weeks. Yeah. So that was like so, so they've been hugging the coast probably because they haven't they haven't really gone any further inland. Yeah. Uh, your I'm gonna book. read. I'm gonna look at the map. Okay. In the cover of your book. Okay. You do that. You bring some map information here. Oh, nope. That map is from after Toshbon. So that's that's the desert between yeah. Collarman and Auchenland. Arkenland. Auchenland. Uh-huh. Auchenland. Uh, Arken. So yeah, we have this journey that goes on, et cetera, et cetera. We see the ocean. Um, we move on from that. We, we kind of describe as you said their experience in towns and whatnot and they have a system now they, yeah they develop i mean this is this is the this is the buddy part of it this is where shasta and brie are developing a relationship and a mm -hmm. trust and a bond and that they are coming up with ways around any potential issues and like yeah. so we're like mm, we'll send the white boy into the town instead of sending the talking horse in because it'll be better if he's buying stuff which i mean regardless of the racial thing like Probably a good idea, no matter where you are, unless you're in Narnia. To not like, send the talking horse. Yeah, in. yeah like, no, I like I, like if you roll up into any random town in America, like you, sending the talking horse in, probably not a great way to avoid attention to yourself. <laughs> uh, so I totally agree here. Do we want to talk any about this breakfast that uh, we describe? I mean, if you want to talk about breakfast, talk about breakfast. Where, breakfast is your preferred meal of the day, I where, think. Where, like, uh, this brief moment where C.S. Lewis becomes, like, a precursor to uh, George R. R. Martin, who is well known for his descriptions of food. Okay. He's one that I, I have not read. Uh, confession. Haven't read any of the Song of Ice and Fire series. See, I've read two, one and a half of the books in that but, series. But one thing I do it. know that he, he, is, he is very... Uh, you know, sometimes mocked for his overly uh, dramatic and descriptive passages about food and feasts and, and things. That, huh. This is not something I was aware of or had ever heard of. Uh, anyway, but... You're going to yeah, have we, to start sending me some <laughs> fat memes. Some, with pH. Yep. <laughs> uh, so we had this description uh, about the breakfast 
that Shasta has, which is, you know, in and of itself kind of depressing because you're like, oh, hey, what's for breakfast? And this is the disconnect here because it says they've been traveling for weeks and weeks. Uh, no, the, this, the, the breakfast is before the, oh, the breakfast. Tra- this, okay. The breakfast is on literally morning Sorry, one. I didn't read this chapter. <laughs> Clearly you did not. Uh, morning this one. This breakfast description that you're talking about, they left last night. Yeah. Shasta wakes him, or yeah. Bree wakes Shasta up at noon. Yeah. And says, I've eaten, you need to eat too. And then they travel for weeks and weeks. Yeah. Like, uh, then they develop their system. So, so we're going to go ahead and go back yeah. to the beginning of our discussion, and you're going to start with this. And we have a little bit of slice of life from Shasta's experience where, you know, we look in the pack uh, that was on the horse uh, that the Tarkhan had, and we see, uh, you know, the items that are available for breakfast, which is like a stale meat pasty and, you know, a, a hunk of moldy cheese and, you know, half a, you know, half a wineskin. It's a, it's a pasty. It's pasty. Okay. Those are different. Uh-huh. It's a pasty. Whatever. Uh, I'm American. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and it's described as the best breakfast Shasta's ever had, which is like another depressing facet of his life. It's like, they, I mean, they live right by the ocean. I, shrimp and grits is not out of the realm of possibility for a breakfast here. So, like, that, it, it is, it is very sad what he you know describes here anyway that's beside the point i am grasping at straws because like i said not a lot happens in the first part of this chapter so let's go ahead and jump into the part of the chapter where action actually starts occurring and they're trotting along and they see a horse no they hear a horse well they hear a horse and then they see a horse and they're like that's no farmer. That's a blood mare being ridden by a skilled rider yeah with breeze like elf hearing he like you know because it doesn't say he sees any of this he hears all of this because they hear another horse and you know shasta's like what's this all about maybe it's just a farmer etc etc and chastis and Bree's just like no i can hear this that's a skilled horse that's a war horse no, with a skilled rider a it's not a war horse not a war horse that's a, clearly a blood mare blood mare well i don't know what that is i don't know do re- should have <laughs> Go ahead, do your research. Via lexico.com, a blood mare is just a mare of good stock or breed, especially a thoroughbred. Mm. So that's so he's saying she fine. Yeah, uh, Bree's a little bit into this. She's just like, yeah, I can, I can smell that. I'm into that. <laughs> um, so we do that, and then we we don't meet them first, and we don't see the other rider or the other horse. They try we... to, yeah, no, Bree and Shasta try to run away. They yes. basically wait, they stand there as still as they can until a cloud covers the moon, and then they just bolt for the ocean, trying to get to the sea, to the sand hills, to get away. And that, as they are approaching the sand hills, that is when they hear my my introductory character of this appalling noise mm-hmm. a roar yeah and brie just says lions and books it turns around runs straight back towards the other rider towards the woods yeah. to get as far away from this uh, lion as possible and they keep hearing these roars and the other horse is running as well yeah and they're hearing a roar then a second and these basically these lions are herding the two horses and two riders together does seem like what it's going for yeah yeah um so let's talk a little bit here about the introduction of these lions 
what does this mean? What because does it mean? so far in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, we have lions presented in exactly two contexts. Mm-hmm. One of them is Aslan, obviously. Did you know Aslan's Jesus? What? I know, crazy. Uh, that's one of them. I feel like we're far too deep into <laughs> this podcast for me to just be hearing this now. I know. I know. The things you learn. And the other one, the only other lion we ever meet is the lion that gets unfrozen in the witch's courtyard, who is just like this really full of himself dude who's just like, yeah, me and Aslan, we're lions, we're cool. Yep. He's into me. And that kind of guy. And we don't have any context at all for like wild lions or non-talking lions. Well, we also don't have any context at all for non-talking horses or non-talking beavers. (laughs) Like... When you're talking about the context for animals that we have in Narnia, yeah. Yeah, but we like, don't have a context for it. So, yeah, when I see lion, I immediately think that this is Aslan presenting some kind of divine intervention in order to force these two characters together. And I don't think that this is a wayside adventure at all. I think that this is Aslan coming in and saying, no, Quinn and Bree and Shasta all need to get out of Kellerman and we need to get them together with some divine intervention and they need to go together. See, that makes a lot of sense. That's the first and only, like, I think that it's just Aslan fake roaring on either side to herd them together until they're forced to be together and Quinn accidentally speaks up and Bree recognizes her as a Narnian talking horse. I mean, we do know there are other lions in this world. Like, it's not do Aslan... Like I said. We know there's other talking lions. Do yes. we know that there are lions in Kellerman? Because at this point, we have had Brie referenced by the lion's mane, referring to Aslan. So uh-huh. Brie clearly knows that Aslan exists and is a lion. Uh-huh. But has Brie or Shasta ever seen a lion in Kellerman? I don't know. Like, I mean... Why don't you know, Chris? Huh? Well, we have a possibility here where... Bree is intimately familiar with the lion's roar. Like, he, he hears the lion's roar and it's like, yeah, lions, we gotta go. So, obviously, he knows what that sounds like. So, either he has personal first-hand experience with Aslan, or he has encountered other lions, and he also recognizes it, recognizes it as something to be afraid of and something that will kill him. Mm, yeah, no, that's fair so. enough. Fair enough. Well, you just reminded me that we haven't talked about Bree and his his fear of embarrassment about whether or not his rolling in the grass was <laughs> something that the dumb horses of Kellerman did. Yeah. He was like, Shasta, do you think this is really silly? Do you think that the free horses of Narnia will do this or will they judge me for doing this thing that the dumb creatures do? Yeah. Which I thought was so humanizing of Bree and was so like... Bree is so afraid of going home and just cultural clashing because he knows he didn't get to grow up in the culture that he wants to be a part of. It's a solid character moment. Yeah. Uh, But anyway, back to the lion. Though I would like to jump out here and point out that in this book where one of the main characters is a horse, he has not mentioned anything about Fledge yet. Which I feel like is just like Which, the... Which, I mean, Fledge... Well, no human character in the entire <laughs> two books we've read now, or book and a half that we've read, or... Yes, but I can imagine Fledge like being a godlike figure in the Nornian horse mythology. Yes, but we also haven't like... had anything about King Frank and Queen Helen either. Like, there's... Yeah. There is, there's no need for any of these characters to know that far back. I just want more of Fledge. He's a great character. I know Fledge is a great character, but we're also <laughs> talking about... 
the characters as they exist now. Like, this is a different Narnia. It is. Uh, so we have two lions, and it might be aspects of Aslan. It might just be lions who are hungry and want to eat some fat horse meat. <laughs> Been there. <laughs> wow. <laughs> anyway, uh, and we get... Wow. No, we, yeah? It's just a level of not funny that you thought was so funny. It was pretty great. No. Um, so we have these characters kind of forced to meet each other, and we find another talking horse in chapter two. Like, I wasn't expecting this. Like I said, haven't read these books before. Have no idea what's going to happen. Didn't expect to meet Quinn. Quinn. <laughs> that was a good impression. Uh, that's, I thought so. Uh, that's also how I pronounce the word when when I'm trying to be funny. Or, I mean, or all like, the time. Or like... When. Or, what is it that you want? Why. Why. We can't do want that way because there's no H in want. Uh, I can say want if I want to. <laughs> uh, so we meet Huen and we also meet the writer of Huen, who is just a girl. It, and <laughs> Yeah. And so we have yet again, and it's not the last time that we're going to read this interaction either, mm-hmm. where a boy meets a girl and says, she's just a girl. Uh-huh. Like, this is how Polly and Diggory met, where they was just like, you have a funny name, and you're crying, and this weird passive-aggressive gender issue, and then we have the siblings, and this whole, like, aggression between Susan and Edmund for Susan being too maternal, and then we have this, we have this. We have this, where Shasta's just like, oh, you're just a girl. Uh-huh. And Aravis is just like, I got a sword, and you're just a slave boy, basically. Like, uh-huh. and we also have Bree trying to, like, show off and just be like, oh, you clearly know that we've escaped and we're running away. A horse like me with this boy in rags riding on me. Like, clearly it's obvious that we're running away. Mm-hmm. And um, I really did appreciate the moment, though, where um, Erebus was just like, you've clearly stolen this horse. Uh-huh. And Bree is like, hold up, hun. Like, I stole him. Uh-huh. If, if anyone did stealing here, it was me. I yeah. stole this slave boy, and he's 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 mine now. Yeah. Uh, before we get more into this, let's jump in for a minute just to just to see if uh, Erevis means anything. I mean, it's clearly an anagram for avarice. For me, at least, I have a really hard time reading it as anything but avarice. I mean, it's an auditory anagram. It's not actually spelled like avarice, but I mean, like for me, the first thing I think is avarice, which of course is like greed for wealth and material gain. So. I, I don't want this character to be a character that is like an, a, a character full of avarice. So, Erevis, can you tell us some more about what that name might actually mean? Uh, according to the internet, nothing. Nothing? It doesn't. It, it's not a word or a thing that appears outside of this work. Kind of comes here. That's weird because that's not something that Lewis usually does. Yeah, I mean, 
we we kind of have a name meaning with Shasta, I guess, but like obviously we have Bree, which is short for something 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 horse name that doesn't mean anything, obviously. So are you are you double checking my research here? I am. Okay. Uh, it's the name of a mountain range in southern France. So also a mountain name like Shasta. Yes. So yeah, it is. <laughs> it's another mountain name, like Shasta's name is. Um, it also kind of parallels names like Avery and Ava as they rose in popularity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd have to look up separately what those names, but yeah. names mean. But yeah, no, it's it's another mountain range, so it's paralleling this idea of Shasta's name being a mountain. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's a stretch, and I'm not sure that's that's a reference that Lewis would have gone for. But I mean, considering the fact that he named Aslan the Turkish word for lion, I really don't feel like it's that far of a stretch to think to see a commonality of them both being named after mountains. Uh huh. And they're both going toward the north in the mountainous land. Yeah. Toward the mountains to the north, past the mm-hmm. past the desert. They have to go to the mountains. Yep, and that's their destiny. Uh, so we meet Erebus. I keep wanting to call her Avarice, so you've got that in my head now. I'm sorry. Um, and we, uh, yeah, we have this hostile relationship that develops immediately. Between the uh, humans, and the horses the- just want to be together, period. They just <laughs> want to be. And I think that this is something that kind of shows this idea of, like, the horses have been pretending to be dumb creatures just to be protected, uh-huh. to protect themselves. And this is their, like, oh, we're finally free to be who we've been, yeah. like, subjected to not get to be. Yeah. As we, like, finally have some common ground. But then we also have these two kids who just want to escape. It None of it has to do with seeking to be, you know, the full value of who they want to be. They just want out. Uh-huh. And they just want to be free. And instead of being like, no, it's my destiny to go to Narnia and be a free Narnian. Uh-huh. Because this is the country I was stolen from. Both of these kids have no idea what it is that they're going to. They just want out. Yeah. And so they both would rather be alone and not have another human being with them. Or have to trust anyone else or anything like that. I think that it's an interesting um, comparison because all four of these characters want to go north to Narnia uh-huh. and two of them want company and want to go together and even um, Erebus is even willing to go with Bree yeah. she just doesn't want Shasta <laughs> there which I feel like I mean to a degree you could argue like this is just her being upset with him for calling her a girl and dismissing her immediately. It's a bad first impression. You could also argue that it it might be racially motivated in that he's a white boy and she's not and she doesn't, you know, she doesn't know if she can trust him because she thinks he could be a spy. Uh-huh. And that's her her first accusation is that he is a spy. And so, I, I don't know, like, there's an interesting dynamic there where we don't know why it is that Erebus doesn't trust him or want him around. But she calls him a spy, and she's upset with him because the first thing he says is, oh, you're just a girl. Uh-huh. And she's like, yeah, well, you're just a boy. A slave boy. A slave, yeah. Oof. Dropping that S word. Um, so, my question here is, now we've encountered a second talking horse in the land of Calarvan. Uh... And this is during the reign of Peter and Susan and Edmund and Lucy. What are they doing about this? That's my thing. That that was my question. (laughs) Like, is there like a a really robust 
uh, smuggling trade of people from Kalerman coming and stealing Narnian horses. I wonder if there actually are any dumb, unspeaking (sighs) horses, or if really all of the Kalerman horses actually are stolen Narnian horses who don't actually think that the horses around them can speak, so they're all being quiet. Yeah. Because like, like this is an extreme of severe subjection, like to to suppression that these horses aren't even willing to think that every horse might be talking. Yeah, uh, there's there's a a, a saying that I'm going to butcher right now, uh, but it's something like uh, once is a fluke, twice is a coincidence, three is a pattern. Mm. Uh, so if we if we see like a third talking horse here, we know there's something going on. Yeah. But like with with two, it does make you suspicious about like you know. Two talking horses from Narnia in this same very small area of the world at the same time, which like, makes it all the more <laughs> like convincing to me that the that the lion they heard was actually Aslan. Uh huh. It just seems very convenient. Yeah. Uh huh. Or or there's a crap ton of talking horses in Kalerman all over the place. Yeah. And it's just like a and thing they where just... they steal children. Maybe that this is a conspiracy theory Ooh. for this book. So like, the horses are just stealing yeah, children. Yeah, the horses aren't being smuggled here. They are coming down into Kalerman to steal Kalermane children. <laughs> this is a whole thing. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna run with this. This is an yeah. idea. Yeah, you All follow right. this throughout right. the entire I, book. I will try to make this a thing. All right. Quinn and Bree are just here to steal <laughs> children. Gosh, that makes so much sense. To take them and to, to populate Narnia with humans. Something like that. I don't know. They were sent by this Edmund. Is, yeah, this is during the reign of Peter and Edmund and all them. And they're just like, yeah, there's just not enough humans here. And we're going to send the horses. going to send yeah. the horses yeah. to go kidnap some children. <laughs> Gosh, wow. this, is, this, is, this is a what plot a line. What a theory. I know. We'll, we'll see where this goes. Uh, so we meet Erebus and Hwyn. Uh We have kind of a, an awkward introduction. But then they sit down the, around the fire and they start talking amongst themselves and we established that uh, Shasta has very poor manners. He yes, didn't... but how would you learn manners in a fishing hut? That's uh, you know apparently there are just no women in this village that Shasta grew up near because he like <laughs> he talks about all the men with the beards and talking about business. He, he also like, like to... his first indication that there was something off about this Tarkin was that he didn't have a beard. Yep. And then we discover, oh, it's just a yep. girl. He uh, he grew up with a man he called father. No woman in the house. Like he doesn't mention women. Like this is just this weird like male only little society here. Which is like, once again pointing to it being a very like Middle Eastern caricature mm-hmm. that Lewis is drawing, where there just aren't any women, and that even like. Women have different titles as far as like variants on the male titles. Like Tarkina is what Brie refers to uh-huh. Erebus as. Yeah, I don't know. So uh, you know, we sit down in the, around the fire. We start telling stories, and Brie's just like, "Yeah, Tarkina, where'd you come from?" And she starts telling this story, which I read a little bit into the next chapter, don't and that's do what that. I know. And that's what the next chapter seems to center around is her telling uh, the story about how she got Stop here. Stop spoiling things. I know, it's crazy. Anyway, With... but we also have this kind of praising once again of story as this storytelling is something that kids are highly educated in. Yes, as opposed to children today which we we in the chapter with Lewis we got coming back so and close. we 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 got so close to Lewis not doing a self-insert, and I need to read this because we end the chapter. While you're looking for that, we also have Erebus as she intros her story, introducing herself 
as Erevis Tarkina, as if Tarkina is her last name, but or like some kind that's... of reverse order of title, yeah. which is the opposite order that the uh, Tarkin in the first chapter was referred to by Bree. Yeah. Bree referred to him by title than name. Yeah. Maybe so, it's just like a title thing. I don't know. But it's the opposite order that the title was given in the previous chapter. So it's, I don't. Yeah. So we end the chapter with this line, uh, or a couple lines. For in Calorman, storytelling, whether the stories are true or made up, is a thing you're taught just as English boys and girls are taught easy essay writing. The difference is that people want to hear the stories, whereas I never heard of anyone who wanted to read the essays, which is a weird and bad line to end a chapter on. It is. Like, if he just put a period after, the difference is that people want to hear the stories. That's a, that's a good ending. Yeah. That's You don't have to say versus... <laughs> Nobody wants to hear an essay. Just like saying the difference is that people want to hear the stories. That communicates everything yeah. that you're trying to communicate in the rest of your blah, blah, blind. Uh-huh. But yeah, we have we have <laughs> Lewis inserting himself again. We also have him calling out and identifying his audience very specifically English as boys English yeah. boys and girls. And that's frustrating too because it's like other than the fact like – I mean, maybe it's a level of humility where Lewis never expected this to go outside of an audience of English boys and girls. Yeah. But you can't so blatantly reference your audience like that. <laughs> like, that's, uh-huh. that is not a narrator. That, uh, that is a writer. That uh-huh. is the author saying, you are my audience, Yeah. English boys and girls. You studied essay writing, but people in this part of the world study storytelling yeah and it's much better valued and people want to hear stories yeah it's like in twilight as stephanie meyer was just like you know american 13 year old girls who are kind of lonely and nerdy who don't really talk up much in the class but you know <laughs> are super into books the those people <laughs> think about this this way okay but like we also have lewis um Gosh, I lost it. I was going to say something else about what Lewis was doing here. Oh, well, it's gone. Anyway, um, so we have this kind of emphasis on the idea of story, which has been referenced earlier. And we also talk a lot about the poets. And we talk about, you know, this kind of culture that centers around story and poets and things like that. Um, Yeah, which... uh is in and of itself kind of a self-insert of Lewis here because we talked a little bit about this on our episode that we did with Christina where uh, Lewis was very vocally against things like essay writing in the modern system of education as it existed in England when he was writing. And he was very, very into uh, ideas like oral tradition and like the, you know, the master and apprentice relationship of learning mm. where a more, a, a much more intimate sense, sense of, of learning things and passing on knowledge. And he was also real, real, real into like, uh, middle age or middle English poetry. Yeah. And as, as I've done research, apparently this is what he is more known for in England we're like, oh, hey, he was this guy on the radio at the same time as Churchill, and he was kind of like, you know, this amusing guy because he was so into what he believed in. However, he is known in academic circles as a guy who was like, knew his stuff when it came to like Middle English literature and wrote some really like definitive texts on it. You mean and like essays? 
Yeah, and I was, <laughs> and I and I was reading uh, kind of a comparison and contrast between how he's known in America as like this great theologian, and he's like. So in the course of reading this, I found out that there is a church in California that had, and I could look up what specific town this is in, and we can go there. But it's, uh, <laughs> we can record an on the scene yeah, episode. Yes, but there is a church in California that has a stained glass window with a relief of c.s lewis on it why (laughs) and he is this figure that is revered in america as like this great thinker and theologian when whereas in england he's just like oh yeah there was that guy that you know he did his radio shows and he's kind of funny also really into literature and like the the whole theology thing doesn't really register there at all Hmm. interesting yeah (sighs) <sighs> Which, I mean, I think I find very interesting just as a difference between you and I uh-huh. without the English versus American culture difference. Like, yeah, when I would bring up C.S. Lewis, you would always think of him first and foremost as a theologian and, in yes. fact, your favorite theologian. Yes. And then I, when I hear C.S. Lewis, I think of that guy who wrote those Christian fiction books. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, they're called Narnia, and he wrote <laughs> some other theology stuff. Yeah. I don't know of him in any other context as an educator. I don't know of him in, in as this radio broadcaster. I don't know of him as, yeah. you know, and I know that he, a lot of his writing kind of does reflect or is uh, collections of some of his on, uh, on, on air radio things that have been typed up and then edited for publishing. Uh-huh. Yeah. I know at least one of his more famous books was was uh, written as a collection of his. Um, I keep trying to say news broadcasts, radio broadcasts, <sighs> yeah. just like his radio broadcast. Uh huh. Anyway, that's that's what I know about knew and, about him prior to and yet his I podcasting. Yeah, I will point out that independently of me, you do own, I believe, uh, paperback versions of all of his theological texts. I think I do. Yeah, like, <laughs> I re- I think I do actually. Yeah. I don't know all of his texts, but I definitely own, yeah, I, I mean, I own, I'd have to look at a list of, of books that he's published, but I might own all of his books. Yeah, uh, well, we won't get into that, because that's, you know, you know, kind of getting away from the focus, but before we go ahead and go into our Narnia Chopped and Screwed segment, would you like to say anything further about this chapter? Um, I mean, like, really, the only thing I wanted to hit on in this chapter was, just, like, the kind of the the development of a relationship between Shasta and Bree and then this kind of like forcing together that I definitely think is Aslan. Like I absolutely have no question in my mind at all about this lion chasing them or these lions chasing them actually being Aslan forcing them together. Uh-huh. I think that this is very much this kind of situational drive together which I think is why it's so important that Erebus and um, Shasta don't like each other because mm-hmm. now there's an element of actual free will being involved in whether or not they're going to travel together because they've been forced together. Yeah. And I think that Aslan came in, meddled with the situation, but they still have to have a free will exercise of, of deciding to travel together. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what has happened. Like, I think that that is what this chapter is about. And yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's really the only thing that I feel is important to, like, I think that this is Aslan, period, like. 
Yeah. I mean, we'll see where it goes. Like I said, I, you know where it goes. I've never read this book before, so I haven't read this I mean, book in like twelve years. I don't remember where so it goes longer er- than that. Erevis and Huynh could die in the next chapter. I have no idea. I don't know if they're going to be a thing for the rest of the book. I think they probably are because like Lewis doesn't do that, and I'm you know doing some meta fiction here. Uh, but yeah, why don't we jump into our next segment, which is hashtag Narnia chopped and screwed. You see, you get it because earlier it was chopped. Uh huh. And in this one, what we do is we pick out five more sentences from the chapter that we use to tell our own story and, you know, create a new thing out of it. In this book, I'm trying something different uh, for all you old listeners, and I am trying to keep a coherent and continual narrative throughout the entire book, and all of my rewrites are going to be part of the same story. We'll see how that goes. I think I've done it again this week. All right. Two in a row, 15 more to go. But So have we, have we decided how you're going to be presenting this each episode? Because uh, I really don't feel like listening to you do yeah. 15, then 20, then... Yeah, Kristen doesn't like listening to me talk very very much. Hey, so. hey, <laughs> hey, I married you. Um, no, I'm just saying, like, I think that you should at the end, in the last episode, present your entire story. Yes. But I think that, like, it would be important for context for you to give at least the previous week's yeah. sentences. That's what I think I'm going to do. I'm just, I'm just going to do the previous week. So if you've lost track of the story, you can go back and listen to old episodes. But I'm going to do just the week prior and then what I've written this week. Okay, so that's what out. you decided to do. Yes. Okay. Well, I'm going to go ahead and do my rewrite first then. Go for it. You Your, ready yours for this? is super short. Wow. Yeah, because this, this, this chapter has so many <laughs> short sentences in it. Yeah. And all of the dialogue is just short sentences. And so once again, I went for sass. And now perhaps escape? All right then, said Erebus. Hold your tongue, Quinn, and don't be a fool, said the other. Can we avoid it? No, you shan't," said the girl. This little witty dialogue, you know, yep. between just some girl sass. And yeah, just some sass. Don't be a fool. Can we avoid it? <laughs> you're you're a fan of your sass. I, you know what? This is when I can't put together a narrative with the <laughs> like the exposition of the chapter. I just create a conversation in which someone's throwing sass or shade at someone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe it'll be more long sentences in the next chapter. I hope so. But I'm going to start. I'm going to go ahead and read my last week's first. Then I'll jump into this week's. Uh, Again, I am not going to offer any of my thoughts about what this is about. I have a narrative in my head that I'm going for. And feel free to jump in and share what you think I'm I'm doing here. Okay. But here's last week's. Can I call you Bree? All these years, I have been a slave to humans. Hiding my true nature and pretending to be dumb and witless like their horses. But why not run away with me? But as I intend to do all the directing on this journey, you'll please keep your hands to yourself. I suppose anyone can fall, said Shasta. And then this week. It was nearly noon the following day when Shasta was awakened by something warm and soft moving over his face. As they walked, Bree said, Shasta, I'm ashamed of myself. This is my escape just as much as yours. The girl opened her mouth to speak and then stopped. At least, if there's been any stealing, you might just as well say I stole him. 
That reminds me of something else that I wanted to bring up. I have no idea <sighs> where your story's going, and I'm confused on the characters in your story now completely. Okay. But um, <laughs> just, just to respond to your story. Uh-huh. But this reminded me of the sentences that I really wanted to bring up in which Bree is talking to Huynh, mm-hmm. and Erevis is just like, why are you talking to my horse? Talk to me. Uh-huh. And Bree is like, excuse me. She's a free Narnian. You're as much hers as she might be yours. Uh-huh. You need to cool it. And that's when the sentence you used in your rewrite where Erebus opens her mouth to say something and then shuts it again. Mm-hmm. Because this is the first time that she's realized that Quinn might actually have agency and be, some. you know, this is this is Erebus facing her human privilege over her horse for uh-huh. the first time. Yeah. And like realizing that maybe she needs to stop being so possessive and controlling and realize that this creature that she is helping to escape is as much in control of their own destiny as she is. And that she needs Quinn as much as Quinn needs her. Yeah. Which so. I think is the thing that Shasta kind of was faced with right away. So this is. Yeah. A, I would like Shasta got that in the first moment yeah. where Brie was just like. Yeah, no, I need you, but you're not going to touch the reins. Uh-huh. I need you just to make it look like I'm not a runaway horse. Uh-huh. Uh, so that being said, let's jump into our final segment, which is we don't have a you know pithy and fun name for yet. Uh, if you want to suggest one, go for it. Uh, but we review the chapter, and I, this is mainly my thing where I go through it, and I, you know, talk about what I liked and didn't like and eventually give it a rating based on a five-star system that Kristen always decides the stand-in for stars and what are what's that going to be this week Kristen um just sand hills sand hills I can't read that I as a person who grew up in Florida there are these things in Florida called sand hill cranes and they're (laughs) they're endangered and like on the protected species list and you cannot harm them but they are giant terrifying birds uh that are like three and a half (laughs) Like they're like three and a half feet tall for those of you who don't live in areas where these are. So they're they're enormous and they're hungry and they will come to your window and demand food and you know they won't like just outright assault you, but they're just there and they'll wander through your yard and if you hurt one, you go to jail. Um and that's that's this thing in Florida. Okay. And I can't see the word sand hill without thinking of those birds. Okay. So you've been traumatized by sand no, hill. No, I, like, I, I like I like them a lot. They're, All right. So know, tell this... us, Chris, what are your thoughts on this chapter and how many sand hills do you give it? Um. So my thoughts in this chapter are, like I said in the beginning, I feel like this is kind of a Mary and Pippin story, even though it's not. And we have, you know, the main characters in it and we have more probably main characters who are, who are introduced. I just feel like it... Except for the end, when we introduce these other main characters, it doesn't really do a lot. And we have a scene where we talk about the ocean and we go through a town and it's this very kind of rote description of an adventure that... I mean, even in the title, this is a wayside adventure. a wayside adventure that I tried to read something deeper into and couldn't get there. Like if you're reading through other heroes' journey stories or adventure stories and I compare it all the time to Lord of the Rings... Which like it should not be it's not even on the same it's level. Not. But you can go through Lord of the Rings and and like we were talking about earlier like I'm sure if we did that chapter by chapter there'd be a lot of times where we're just like yeah there's a lot of things here that don't go anywhere and there's a lot of descriptions of places and things that don't mean anything. 
but I feel like you can still go into that and read into it some kind of metaphor or some sort of like, you know, oh, this is a reflection of this character's psyche right now, or this is like, tells us something important about the world. But here I don't feel like it does that. Like I tried real hard to, to figure out something, but it all feels very flat. Hmm. Like, it's just descriptions of places that are not even that interesting. Yeah, and I think that, like, that is kind of epitomized even in, like, that first interaction where Shasta wakes up and says that he's sore. He's so in so much pain that he can't move. And Brie is just like, well, it can't be from all of the falls that you took because you only had less than half a dozen and you landed on soft things. Like, this is the the whole, like, the the prime example of telling versus showing. Yeah. Like, all of the action that happens in this chapter is just like, we're going to talk about what happened, except yeah. for when the horse shows up and yeah. Shasta has to hold on. And, and my issue is it's so easy. It is so easy to go back through. And if I wanted to rewrite this chapter to do better, I'm confident in saying I could do that. Hmm. Like, I, I don't often say, like, oh, I could do it better than this author because I haven't written a book. <laughs> like, I, I've never published anything, but with this one, I feel like I could because it's so easy to just take a passage like that where it's like, oh, uh, let's talk about how Shasta's fallen off the horse a bunch of times. Erase those three paragraphs and just have this opening scene where Shasta's waking up and, like, tending to his wounds that he has. And the hor- and Bree's just like, how's it coming? And Shasta's like, I'll manage and, like, talking about, like, these injuries he has and not actually spelling out all the times he fell off the horse. And we just, like, infer that. And it's, like, things like that aren't hard to do. Um, whatever, I'm getting away from myself here. Uh, Give us but, a rating, Chris. Uh, good things about the chapter. We meet a fun new couple new characters. Like, we don't really get to hear much from Huin. I like Erevis a little bit. Uh of course well, you do. we'll see. We'll see why. Because she's a strong, independent woman who don't need no white boy. You know, that's who I married. Um, <laughs> uh, we'll see how those characters develop. Whatever. Uh, the lion chase scene is kind of fun, I guess. Uh, two and a half sand hills out of five. All right. I'm going to be a little bit harsher in my reviews for, for this book. I I'm see. I'm going to try to. I see. But. I see. What do you got? You gave the first chapter like such a high rating. I was because concerned. I had such promise. <laughs> I had such hope for how this book might turn out, but it's already disappointed me. I see. I give this chapter the smell of fish at the sea, and that's that's all uh, I have to say how, about that. How very apt. Yep. Uh, anyway, uh, Kristen, you want to take us out with that? Sure. Thank you so much for listening to us today as we blathered on about a wayside adventure. About a wayside adventure in The Horse and His Boy. If you have a five sentence summary of your own, some thoughts on the chapter and whether or not you think Chris should try to rewrite it, you can go ahead and hit us up at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram or at Chronically Pod on Twitter. You can also email us at chronicallypodcast at gmail.com and join us next week for chapter three at the gates of Tashban, where we may or may not actually hear Erevis's story that she started at the end of the last chapter. We don't know. This is about a different city. So there you go. Thank you for listening. And yeah, I mean, you could say 
Don't close yourself in any wardrobes. And don't forget to wipe your sword. Uh, but see. this is a different book. It is. We, we'll, we'll, so maybe we should say something like, don't fall off a horse. Well, and we're, well, I mean, we're going to come up with a third thing for this book. We're going to add on to this every time okay. we finish a book. And um, don't fall off your horse. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> we might workshop that a little bit. Bye. What do tacos have to do with anything? It tastes like freedom! Yeah. Color men in Auchenland. 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 Uh huh. Auchenland. Uh. Arkin. Did I not share this with you? No. <laughs> you didn't make sense. No, I. You... Yeah? It's just a level of not funny that you thought was so funny. It was pretty great. No. Yeah. Uh, we have the exact same character introduction of a... Uh, You're uh, summarizing the entire chapter. We ha- we need to have stuff to talk about here. Okay. You're giving me a death glare. Are you okay? I'm staring at the screen. And <laughs> your audio is so much quieter than mine is. Uh, um, anyway. You go down to Beach House Tacos. You get a taco and a margarita. You, you know, you... Yeah, okay. that's a thing. I mean, I wouldn't say Beach House Tacos is known for their margaritas, <laughs> but, you know. Whatever. I'm trying to create atmosphere. Pause <laughs> the recording. Go ahead, do your research. What is love? Lady, the woundest. The woundest. Oh, yeah, so just... My uh, heart. <laughs>